Business Matters in association with Atlantic Technological University, Donegal. Study for a Doctorate of Business Administration and obtain the highest level management qualification available. Visit atu.ie forward slash DBA. I'm Chris Ashmore. My guest this week is Hugh Boner, Managing Director of Publishing and Event Management Company Mara Media, which is based in Anagri. Hugh, welcome to the program. I suppose, first of all, we'll, we'll just give our listeners a little outline as to what exactly Mara Media does, and there's a little bit of a, a clue in the title. Yes, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, Mara Media, we, we are, uh, I suppose, uh, events and publications is our, is our bread and butter, and we... Um, run exhibitions and we have run exhibitions now for over 15 16 years and <clears throat> we also do a number of magazines um, uh, we do the skipper fishing magazine we do tourism titles we do airport magazines sort of became a niche for us you know the exhibition side of the business then we have two exhibitions which cater for the commercial fishing industry in the UK and Ireland and uh, further afield, one based in Aberdeen, one now in Limerick and uh, over the course of the years I've also started new shows, we've uh, Ireland on the Water which we ran last year in um, Lisburn for water sports and boats and outboards and kayaking and all that and uh, <coughs> previous shows we've ran the Irish Angling Show, I've tried my hand at the cycling we ran the Irish cycling show for a number of years and back in the day before the crash we'd, uh, we'd also had a workboat show down in Kinsale so yeah we've we've covered a good a good uh, gambit there yeah now maybe before we go in and, and look at some of those aspects of the business in a, in a little bit more detail we'll go back in time and your own background very much connected with the uh, fishing sector tell us a little bit about growing up and uh, you were Burtonport based for a lot of your life yeah <clears throat> Burtonport would have been the the nearest port to to me uh, I grew up in and mullet off and uh my mother was a publican at Boner's Bar, which is still there today and still very busy, and it's great to see. So that was a family business for close to over 100 years. Um, and then mother and father sold it, I think it was in the late 90s. Um, so she was a publican by trade, and her, her, her mother was a teacher, and her father ran the pub. And now, the interesting fact about them was that uh, my, my grandmother worked in the school across the road from the pub, now she she was originally from uh, Bunbeg. Uh, she was a Breslin, um, and uh, she taught in school across the road, which was I would say just the water the road across from our front door. So there was a very interesting case. My older sister was actually a piece down the Irish press, the nearest child. She literally crossed the road and she was in the classroom, you know, every morning. Unfortunately, I'd never got the chance to go to Muldoff National School because it was closed. And uh, the year I was starting school and, and, and uh, it was closed and the pupils were moved to Anagri. So, yeah, brought up. My mother was a publican. My father was a fisherman and he fished at Burtonport and Killy Beggs. Uh, a lot of the community around the Rosses that time, particularly around... Molodov, Burton Pork and Castle and still are a lot of them were, were fishermen, a lot a lot of them made their earning at sea, uh, out of Burton Port and Killybegs. And there were seasons, you know, you had uh, heron season, uh, salmon season, lobster season, whatever, and that maintained a way of life for a lot of people. So sort of from what age were you going out on boats? 
Well, my first memories probably would have been jumping across boats. Was the one time I gave my father a complete heart attack. Was uh, we're up in Killy Bags one day, and my uncle was on another boat, and I was standing in the stern of my father's boat, and my uncle uh, waved to me, and I jumped across three boats, and then my father came back, and he couldn't see me. And he thought I'd gone over the side, <laughs> but we were so used to it. Like um, I jumped across, and I was sitting in the in the galley of my, my my uncle John John's boat, eating away, you know. And my father came down, and he he was white white with fear. And I think he copped on that I had gone across to that boat, but you know, I probably was only about six or seven. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of grew up, but just being uh, around boats and and boats coming in and. You know, hanging around and then going out on the odd trip when you're younger. Maybe the boat was being taken the killy bags for work, so you'd jump on and and go to killy bags with your with your your father or your uncle or whoever. So during your school days, did you think you know I'm going to be a fisherman? This is what I'm going to be. Yeah, um, probably yes, because when you when you're in that community, you tend to think that that is your vocation, uh, and, and like we all enjoyed it immensely. So. Yeah, I probably thought, yeah, I want to go to sea. Well, I knew I didn't want to work in the bar. You know, I enjoyed the bar because growing up, our pub would have been very busy. Um, so as kids, we were were always working in the bar. And it was tough work because, you know, you'd be going maybe till two or three in the morning and mm. then cleaning up after it and all that. And you never really had a day off. And for some reason, I thought that fishing was a bit of an escape, even though, you know, it's, it's even harder life. But I did love going away um, over to Burton Board and going out in the boat mm. and there was always work to be done even outside of that like um, mending nets and getting ready, getting getting gear ready. So yeah, it was it was just a way of life. You know? To me it was just mm. second nature, you know. So you became a skipper of your own boat? Yeah, well, kind of a long story. I, I, the thing was that time that a lot of us... Uh, probably in the early 80s were emigrating some went to college um, and some then you know decided to go fishing so I wanted to go fishing I went to school I enjoyed school uh, to a certain degree but when I came back and I was doing the leave insert I was halfway through it and I kind of I kind of threw, threw the books in the bag one day and went yeah, that'll do me I went, you know to this day and it's still sometimes I still dream about it I only had a year to do to do my leaving cert, yeah. and some classes I immensely enjoyed, like English, geography, history, even biology, and some classes I <laughs> did not enjoy. But that that itch was there to go to sea, and you know, in reflection now, if you're speaking to younger self, you'd said, "Cool the ham, and you know, mm. do your leaving cert, maybe go to college, chill out mm. for a few years." But no, off I went to that time. You went to Greencastle Fishery School at that time. The classes or the, the acceptance was full. It was 30, 40 young fellas from all over Ireland, from Arnmore to Cork to Kerry, Ackle Island. So I went there and done my deckhand course there. Then I was placed on a boat in Killy Beggs. And then eventually we had a, we bought a boat ourselves, our family, my father. And then with a second boat and sort of towards, I was at that six, seven years, salmon fishing, white fishing. I done my skipper's ticket uh, in Greencastle. You went back, and then you do your skipper's ticket and other courses and service. Mm. But yeah, I enjoyed it all. It was a good learning curve, you know. 
Well, I remember in secondary school, so back in the early 80s, uh, my, I'm not sure if it was a geography book, but, but the map with the, the ports of Ireland and, of course, Killybegs was, was, was always the biggest one. But Burton Port, still in the 80s, was quite a big port uh, by national standards compared to what it is today. So there's been huge changes. Oh, hu- huge. I mean, it had a... Burton Port in its heyday had its own kind of... Uh, microeconomic climate everybody was involved in fishing and you had like Burton Port Co-op you had God maybe in its heyday 60-70 boats more landing into that co-op yeah. because there would have been land from places like Fannet and Teelan and all around you know yeah. all around the county it was the biggest salmon port uh, salmon fishery of my recollections right in Western Europe um, so you had the, the kind of flow of the seasons. You had fishermen who fished all year round. You know, we were one of them. And then you had what you call the, the salmon season. And then followed by it would have been probably, you know, lobsters, shellfish, whatever. And then you had in the winter time a lot of people went into factories, fish mm-hmm. processing factories to work, which there was ones in Burton Port, King Castle. Uh, Killy bags that time because a lot of the labour was manual. It employed thousands. You had um, Klondike boats coming in from from Russia and Poland and places like this. So you know people had something to go to. There was a, like a natural sequence of seasons. Um, the people, a lot of people, paid for their kids' education, paid all the bills through salmon fishing, the fishing industry, working in factories. Uh, and then you had, you know, uh, I suppose local dust, you had all the Gaelic Act schools going to. So, you know, that was, yeah. that's really... So it was a, a real hive of activity, Burtonport, in, in, the, was, in the 80s. Yeah, 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 yeah. those restaurants and bars were mm. all booming and little shops were doing well. Um, and there was a great buzz. Yeah. Everybody knew. It was a community. Yeah. You know, people worked together in Uri Leiden, people. And I remember, like, some <coughs> Sundays going to see, particularly in the salmon season, you might have, might have had... 20, 30, 40 boats leaving between, you know, Burtonport and Gidorn and Armour, heading out to sea all together. Like So it was very much a, a fishing community at that time. And on your own trawler, like, how far out would you be going? How long would have the trips been? Well, we had we had two boats with a smaller one, the 50-footer Anne-Marie. Uh, now, we bought that one over in Tarbot, Tarbot in Scotland and on a good Friday. I can't remember the year. She was a 50-footer, so we probably fished close to the shore with her, but we'd have done salmon fishing and, and, and gill netting and all that. So you'd be out two, three days maybe, you know. And then we got a larger vessel then. It was called the Falcon, which is a Swedish boat. She was built for actually the... She was built that strongly she could go through ice, you know, the keel. And we white fished in that one up around the Stanton Bank and back at Tory and different places. So we'd have been out maybe for five, six... Seven days and that you would leave. There was always a kind of a tipping point that you'd be fishing two or three days to pay all the bills and expenses. So when you get into the third day, you're profit making, you know. So we'd be be towing the white fishing nets for that, and we'd land our catch back in Burtonport, and then it'd be sold to the co-op, and then it'd be shipped off to. I think at the time Grimsby was probably the main the main auction yeah. place in England but all the boats would be landing all the lorries would be loaded up and you know I'm trying to think now what night of the week it was maybe it was a Thursday or Friday night and off they would go and yeah. the same with the salmon mm-hmm. too so it was a real buzz and so, clubs flying around and people 
loading and unloading, you know. So anybody going down to Burtonport, say 40 years ago, the trawlers could have been five, six abreast lined, lined yeah, out there yeah. in the harbour, whereas yeah. nowadays you go down and no, the there's not a lot happening. Been, been yeah. unfortunately. Um, and that time, like people would come down and we'd be unloading or whatever, say it was whitefish or whatever, and they'll come down and we could... Uh, we could give them some of our catch, you know. So times were good. Was there anything on the horizon, even at that stage, that, you know, is this going to last forever, or were there even warning signs then? Well, there was, uh, I suppose, the salmon industry was, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, people wanted the salmon fishery closed because in their estimation that the salmon fishery was, you know, if it kept going, it was going to decimate and, and, and kill off wild salmon. That fishery closed in the in the early 90s. Restrictions came in then, quotas and fishing areas were closed. So bit by bit, the Irish uh, fishing fleet and the, the quota and where they can fish and all that was being restricted all the time. And, you know, you're, you're working off such a small percentage of the overall, even though I think we have, you know, 11% of the waters we're working off, one and a half, two percent of the quota, whatever, you know, the, roughly speaking, um, uh, they're just not enough quota to sustain, sustain the fishing industry yeah. and it's kind of been neglected. I think at the time when, you know, Ireland joined Europe, that was the time to play hardball and, and, and get off to a decent start, but we, we've been yeah. playing catch up since and yeah. other countries didn't make that mistake and now they're entitled to fishing in the waters mm. of Ireland, you know. So during the 90s and then through the millennium, when was uh, the seed beginning to be planted that, you know, am I, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Will, will I do something else? Yeah. Well, what happened was that uh, there was a, the falcon boat we had, there was a fire on it and um, it meant refurbish the whole boat again and I was young and we're just married, so I suppose we took the decision then that I needed a regular income, and it was it was hard to leave an industry that your whole family is involved in, and I just had to walk away to to make a, an earn earn a wage, you know. So I I decided to to make the break, and um, uh, you know, looking at the future of the industry, it was it was stagnating a bit. And at the end of the day, you need you need a wage coming to house, mm. particularly with a, a young child at that stage. So I decided then to to try something different, you know. So I um, I applied for a job. I think it was I applied for three jobs in one week, and went. I remember even coming around Leather Kenny and going to factories and everything with my little CV, you know, because it was such a lifestyle change. And nothing happened for, oh, I think it was four or five weeks. I was busy painting the house and keeping myself busy. And then within the space of a week, I got a job offer for three three jobs. Right. So I, and funny enough, one of them was out on the mountaintop out here, Leather right. Kenny and a company, and another one was an insurance company. But there was a, a company starting up in, in Gidor, and it was called Slender Tone or Bible oh, yes. Research. Yeah. So I kind of fancy that. I thought, you know, it's handy, it's local. So we're all shipped off to, I signed up with them, and we're shipped off to Shannon uh, during the World Cup in 1990. And we basically, the, the plant there was closed down. 40-foot lorries, we, we learned the trade, and we packed a ring into 40-foot lorries all summer and moved it all up to Gidor whilst enjoying the World Cup. 
right. and between all of us and the company that company then was was uh, um, that company opened up in, in Gidor and became a, mm-hmm. a big employer I think there was up to 250 yeah. there at one stage you know so how long were you there in, in total with them I was there I started off doing distribution dispatch and then I became eventually production manager and I was there about eight years I think right. eight right. years but you know uh Coming from a fishing background, changing over to work in the factory was hard because those things like lunch break and health and safety and, you know, it was just, yeah. it was, it took me a while to adapt, but then once I settled into the routine, I loved it and we had a great, fantastic bunch of people and many, many friends and we had great crack and them early days particularly. But like a lot of things, I think that the Irish manufacturing industry at that stage Slender Tone in particular were coming under more pressure because we could not produce the product in, you know, in, in Donegal for the same price as it could be produced in other countries. So eventually a lot of the manufacturing was moved away. Um, but in my head at that stage, I had already decided that it's time for, a, time for another change, you know. Let's try something different. I'm speaking with Hugh Boner, Managing Director of Publishing and Event Management Company Mara Media, which is based in Annagree. Join us again after this break. Study a Doctorate of Business Administration, DBA, at Atlantic Technological University and obtain the highest level management qualification available. This advanced degree can involve a remarkable journey of growth, both individually and within the broader context of the business world. Check out atu.ie forward slash DBA to register your interest. Welcome back. Before the break, we heard from Hugh Boner about his time fishing through Burton Port and subsequent jobs after he departed the fishing sector. Hugh, you were telling us that you were working with a Slender Tone down in Guidor, but that all came to an end and your next step saw you initially venturing to Dublin. Yes, um, again, another another big career change. Um, so that was kind of my second from the sea to Slendertone. But I always had an interest too in sales and, and, and publishing. Not that I'm a journalist by any means or manner, but, you know, it kind of was something that always interested me. So it came to pass that the company in Dublin called uh, Mac Communications were based in Dundrum, and uh, they were looking for someone to do sales for the, the skipper. Now it's an old established fisher magazine from 1964, started by Arthur Reynolds, who was the sub-editor in the, the Irish Times. So I applied and done an interview with them, and they said they'd, they'd like to have me on board because obviously I knew the industry. I started with them, but I worked. I got a small office in Anagra in an old college, and uh, I based myself there, so I worked three weeks uh, at home and then I'd go up to Dublin for production week, which we called at that time. So you went up and then you sat for three or four days with your graphic designer, got all the layouts, the advertising, everything done, and tried to get the magazine away to print on the deadline. So I used to pop up to Dublin and that went on for many years, I think it was with them, seven years, uh, you go up to Dublin, you'd spend the last production week in, in Dublin up in Dundrum. Right. So it just became a ping of a way of life. I'd work for them, their 
their ad revenue went went up and uh, I was happy and they were happy and I have to say good times yeah. yeah now we hear a lot about remote working now you were almost a, a forerunner of that <laughs> <laughs> I was and I, I just just thought about that there a short time ago I, I was because it made no sense for me um, I probably didn't mention that I forgot to say between the time I had left fishing and started with Slenderton I actually worked in Dublin uh, for a period of three or four months actually in the back of Grafton Street I think it was uh, Jury Street a cousin of mine's husband had a clothes wholesale business and I went up to work for him I was waiting to do a course in computer programming I had this thing in my head that computers and computer programming would be the way forward. I was proved right, but I, I missed. The course was cancelled. There was no money. The country was fairly broke, you know. And uh, so I worked there for two or three months. Then I got word that the, the course wasn't going ahead. And, you know, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I had my heart set and doing this. And so I had the choice then, whether, you know, like a lot of people would stay in Dublin because I had worked there. But uh, my wife, she was she was teaching here at the time. So we decided, you know, really it it's comes down to, you know, you sit down, you have a chat and you say, are we going to go to Dublin and make a life because we're still like, you know, uh, very young or are we going to settle down at home? But, but family at home and all the connections and everything we decided, no, we'll, 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 we'll stay in Donegal, you know. So how did uh, Mara Media then come about? After seven years of my communications, I was getting quite itchy feet again and want to try to do something different, you know. They said to me, well, you know, why don't you buy the Skipper Fishing magazine, you know, it inside out. And what happened, I suppose, was about year seven working for them. I was involved with a guy called Rutchie Flint, and he sadly passed away. Rutchie was a litre man, and he asked me to work with him on a, it was a fish farming conference exhibition out in the Connemara Coast Hotel. We, in collaboration with communications, what the, what Rutchie's um, Irish Farming Association ran the show and I enjoyed the whole you know organizing and selling it and, and, and having the weekend set up so that gave me the idea then that we could do our own show our own fishing exhibition and have it someplace that people would enjoy going to and keep the cost down so small companies could attend so we come up with the the, the Irish Skipper Expo and we decided we're gonna have it in Galway the first show ran the year before I left my communications we ran it in call up Great Southern Hotel in Galway. Successful show, but my communications didn't really see the potential that it had, but I did. I thought, right, this is my chance now. I'm probably going to get fleeced or pay too much for buying the skipper, but they don't realise the potential of maybe the exhibition. So this is what, 2005? This is 2004, 2005, yeah. yeah. So uh, we negotiated a fee for the Skipper magazine, and the back of my mind was always to develop the the exhibition side of the business. So in 2005, I set up uh, Mara Media, or the full title, Registers Falshahan Namara Charinta, and uh, got an office in Anagra, and uh, there was one other employee, um, Sharon Boyle who was on the books of my communications worked with me so it was initially the two of us set the office up in Anagra and then became Mara Media and went at it Was there a, an element of, of worry as to you know were you going into a, covering a sector that was probably 
had better times. Yeah, well, there was a re the renewal program at the time, mm. and uh, there was a lot of grants going. So there was a lot of new boats being built, and you probably had uh, the bigger boat sector was busy enough, the pelagic sector. So there was a wee bit of hope or movement that time. Um, you know, you had new boats coming in from different shipyards in Europe and all that, so... I thought it was okay, you know, it was a good time to, to try it. Um, so when we opened the company in 2005, things were going quite smoothly and we had lots of features to do and um, you had your, you know, before the digital age, we were still selling plenty of magazines, we're doing features, you're getting your, your, your print advertising rates. And you were the, the go-to publication for people in, in the fishing yeah, sector. Yeah, there would have been, like there, and there still is, there's uh, publications in the UK and another one in, in, in Killybegs, but I suppose we're established in 1964, yeah. so in terms of the brand name and, yeah. and the history, we always had it. So, yeah, we were, well, I was confident enough in 2005, and you always have great ideas when you start, but again, let's come back to you have to have the right people, so... You know, I was trying to do every, I was invoice and I was, and I said, you know, one day I says, God, I need to get somebody to do yeah. the accounts, you know. So a lot of the people who end up working with me over the years, you know, there was no uh, convoluted hiring process. <laughs> it was, I heard you're very good at what to do and, you know, you would kind of nearly bump into them in the street or, I mean, if I've met people in TK Maxx, the clothes rail said to them, are you going to work for me? And they say, well, maybe I will. And they say, we'll see you on Monday. You know, sometimes you just know people have certain skill sets and you have to convince them that they should, should work with you. And I've been very lucky over the years. I suppose 2005, we got off to a good start. We had two or three very good years and then the recession came. I'm speaking with Hugh Bonner, Managing Director of Marla Media. Hugh on the exhibition side and the event management side of things, I presume with the Celtic Tiger, that sort of stuff began to mushroom. Yes. Um, well, what happened was we, we, we ran the, the Skipper Fishing Magazine and we had the Irish Skipper Expo. Now, at that time, as I said, we're first couple of years we're in, we're in a hotel, the, the Cardiff Bridge Southern, I think it was, and we moved to the Galway Bay Hotel. What happened was really the show became successful because people loved going to Galway. They loved meeting up once a year. They loved having their little stands. We had stands in every nook and cranny in the hotel. And then people also stayed in the hotel. So it became like a real, you know, a real weekend for everybody to meet up and do business. So we had the skipper and we had that show. And then I also bought another show from an English company. It was the Irish Angling Show. It was owned by a company in Kent. And we ran that, we started running that then, I think that was 2007, 2008. Um, that was based in the National Sh Show Centre in Swords. So we would have uh, those two shows in the spring and with the Skipper magazine. Uh, and then came the crash, and the crash was severe, particularly on a startup company because we hadn't built up a base of of funds or we hadn't built up anything and next thing it was it was like somebody just pulled the handbrake all the revenue from advertising fell through the floor whatever cash flow plans you had were out the window and I think from a business perspective that was definitely the toughest toughest time because there were so many uh, small businesses going bust at the time be quite blunt about it at the time uh, for us as a small business um 
you're left to fend for yourself. Revenue didn't care. They wanted whatever they were due. Uh, the banks were in turmoil. Nobody had, had money. Looking back now, the, the biggest thing that time was I managed to keep calm and I decided in a slightly different way that we would grow our way out of it, which was kind of mad at the time because all the, the natural advice is to tighten up, knuckle down, pair back to the very bare minimum, which we done all that, like we we done all that, but you can't do that and hope to have a long-term yeah. future. So I decided around that time, I says, well, you know, let's grow the exhibition. Um, and then around that time, then shortly after it, we were asked then to, to do a show in Aberdeen. So I, I decided, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll grow our way out of it. Uh, we also then looked at what else can we do in terms of publishing and we just, you know, I had this idea that Donegal Airport, for example, a lot of people don't know it's there. I thought, approached the airport, said, why don't we do a magazine for your airport takeoff, which is now, mm. you know, going for 20, nearly 20 years as an institution. And uh, so we decided to grow our way out of it, which was, looking back on it, was totally nuts. But again, you know, as I, I, I spoke to people close to me and they said, if you think it can be done, then yeah. we'd back you. Now, had, you know, people around me said, I think you're nuts, close the door, cut your losses, I would have probably done that. But I think sometimes you have to follow your instinct. My gut was saying that I think we can get through this. Mm. Now, I was getting advice, and, you know, a bit, the hands up here, I was getting advice from people who are supp supposedly experts mm. in finance and banking and all that. But then I thought, if they didn't see the crash coming, Mm. So were you thinking outside the box a little bit, and you, I mean, yeah, you, you saw yeah. those sort of little niche markets, yeah. and that the potential yeah. was there? Well, yeah. I would be, I would be slightly impulsive, not yeah. so much maybe now, but then, yeah. where I would take a, I would roll yeah. the dice, I suppose. You know, there's no checklist that says, "Oh, you're safe to go and, and, and do this mad adventure." But I thought it was the best to, to keep the the business going, to keep the jobs, that if we grow our way out of it, yeah. and test the waters we're growing the show the skipper show and then uh, eventually starting the other show in Aberdeen which was another big gamble and continuing on with the angling show and taking in a few magazines for the years I suppose 2000 2008 to 2012 you were just you were just firefighting yeah so the airport magazine for Donegal Airport, it meant uh, a source of revenue for you. It was a great product for the airport to have. Yeah. People would see it when the, they were flying through it and getting it. And that was the first, uh, I suppose, there were other airport-related publications that followed. The business is basically broken down to, I suppose, the commercial fishing side, which is the skipper and the two exhibitions, which are B2B, business to business. And then the other side was the tourism sector. Um, now, mentioning now, we had a, a great girl who came to work with me, Grace McDermott. She'd be known as Grace Sharkey from Mulladoff, and she'd worked in, in London for Haymarket Publications and people like that. She grew that side of the business. Uh, she was the sales on the all the tourism and the angling show, and who she didn't know was not worth mentioning on the whole west coast of Ireland and the angling sector and the tourism sector. And... Uh, she worked with us for 15 years and but sadly she passed away then she passed away during the summer she had a, a long battle with cancer mm -hmm. and that was a that was a blow to us as a small yeah. company you know a, a friend and colleague for so long mm -hmm. 
and um, the other s- sector then we had Sharon who uh, Sharon Boy who knows the industry inside out for we've worked together since 1998 so again she knows fishermen from the top of Norway to to France to you know uh, Shetland okay. Islands uh, so it was having people like that and then having uh, you know having somebody then generally boiled as the accounts having somebody like that who's been working for years who is just excellent and was a big help to me getting us through that difficult phase mm-hmm. I suppose the, the, what I'm trying to say in the magazines was that once you had the foundation of takeoff, and we done it as a it was more of a how would you say being proud of Donegal what we have to showcase yes. because at that time when we took the first magazine out we weren't the coolest place on the planet we weren't you know listed A, B, C, D people weren't coming to Donegal yeah. so there was a perception A that it was too far away and B that it was difficult to get to and I suppose throw in the fact you have to drive through the north and there wasn't maybe a peace process in place at the time and now today it's all mm-hmm. you know it's all bells and whistles yeah. and the magazine high quality glossy magazine really nice gra- yeah. graphics attractively laid out and then so that was in some ways a template for the other ones that followed yeah well we we always i'm a great believer we always went but <coughs> if you're going to do something do it in high quality like me deem the skipper's printed in high quality paper so we took the decision from day one that the magazine would be glossy high quality and a very visual front cover and then uh, we also thought about you know how we're we going to draw people into so we'd always think you know who's going to be say the guest interview this year we then thought maybe this will work someplace else so eventually we approached uh, Ireland West Airport Knock Airport and established a relationship with them and we've been working with them now for for about say mm-hmm. 12 years we were lucky enough then that uh, airports contacted us and Cork Airport we're working on a new magazine for them at the moment and uh, we hope to announce some more Great. airport magazines in the near future so that's that's a little yeah. sometimes a small business can get known for mm. being good at something niche and I think that's that's something yeah. that that you know that happened to us yeah. niche that doing these exhibitions being close to the customer your first point of contact there's only a couple of us in the office you're dealing with um, and then we also then you know brought in more skill sets we had another girl uh, Noreen Noreen Boyle who's worth us now two years it seems like two months who, who who was a teacher in the Middle East and had a love for publishing came in to me one day asking for a bit of advice and maybe write a few articles and before she knew it she was working mm. for us you know yeah. <laughs> and when something visually looks good that that is so important so so important like I, I, I stress this to anybody you know you, you can have the greatest business in the world but you know you have to if, you, if you're selling say a magazine or a concept then it has to look yeah, has to yeah. we got we were very lucky actually the story behind this too we had a graphic designer great guy Declan for years with us um, he left before Covid it's very hard to hire somebody now it's not like the old days people mm. biting your arm off to to have a job now you're looking for somebody and you nearly have to convince them to work for you but uh, we had a guy we've he works in Peterhead Paul and he's remotely based and sorry he works in Peterborough yeah and uh, he's based over there and he works uh, for us and mm-hmm. it's worked out brilliantly but his background was he worked with Time Inc in New York 
So, mm. you know, I looked at the CV and I went, wow, you know, that's really yeah. amazing. Paul, your work is a second to none. He's a brilliant graphic designer. Yeah. So he works with us now and he designs, uh, he does all our magazines and then he does graphic design work in-house also, you know. Now, I suppose you have a few, we could call them accessories, um, the famous skipper beanie hat, of which uh, several thousand are located around the world, and you've seen the, the skipper hat with the logo, of course, at the front of it, and it's popped up in some rather unusual places. It has. It's, it's just one of those things that the people take pride in, in awareness, kind of like a become brand awareness over the years. I suppose, you see, we've always done skipper beanies and given them away over the years the exhibitions and whatnot. so I'd be watching the TV sometime and uh, BBC News one night and I think there were uh, I'd say the Icelandic government were in crisis and they were disbanding the government and the guy giving the main interview who was being interviewed commenting on it was wearing the skipper beanie <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed did he get it at an expo over here? Yeah, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have given away beanies. Like, we've got yeah. the shows in Denmark and Norway and Aberdeen. We're giving them out. And then there's quite a crossover in the fishing industry with people from Scandinavian countries, particularly Norway, who would come to our show and vice versa and Danish and all that. So he did. So he done the whole interview with that. And I thought, I thought that, that can't be topped, you know, because it's on the BBC. So lo and behold, a few months later, Boris Johnson was at the fish market in Peterhead talking to, you know, one of the workers there and he was wearing the skipper beanie, you know. I suppose it's subtle branding when you think in it in a way and uh, create your little brand, yeah. In conclusion, Hugh, when you look back, things have progressed so much over the years. You took a few risks. Most uh, of them paid off. Uh, yeah, but it's, it can be close to the one. Yeah. I think that the two big things for us were coming out of the recession. So when COVID came then, our business stopped overnight because we were doing events. And, and to put it into context, we had the Skipper Expo, Irish Skipper Expo, uh, booked in for Galway. We had 140 companies. We had uh, committed to running the show. Uh, we had to pull the plug in the event one week before it. So we then had to go back to all our customers explain well you know we're trying to explain at the time but COVID overran that that we couldn't run the event but 90 over 90 percent of them stuck with us and said whenever you're ready to run the event again we will be with you so I think that building up that loyal customer base where they trust you and you're open with them is is a very very important factor uh, so when we went back I think it was a year and a half later or whatever to run the show again um, they were all still there and they were all booked in and we ran the show and it was messy during COVID but the government supports and everything helped us but our business went down to about 25% of turnover so we had to cut back the days of the week put support systems in place basically hibernate until such time as it opened up again then it takes a while to clear the backlog and get the finances sorted out again um, but having that customer loyalty made it all possible for us and uh, we're very thankful for that you know so finally Hugh looking back a great element of satisfaction of, of what you have achieved no doubt it's always staring into a crystal ball as to what lies down the road be it one year five year ten years ahead what are your immediate plans for the future well we have quite enough on our plate we have a, a small team now so 
I suppose years ago I'd have been more impulsive and I'd always be looking to maybe rashly start up a new project or do something. But I think I'm quite happy where I'm at at the moment. We have uh, two two major exhibitions and a third one we've just started, Ireland in the Water, to look at that now and see if we're going to develop that. We have more, hopefully, more airport magazines possibly in the pipeline. Um, I think they like the, the fact they're dealing with a small company and we deliver to them and uh, we do 90% of the work. So I think that developing that a bit further might be enough for now, but that's not to say, you know, hey, <laughs> I can't come across a mad idea, which will get shot down. But yes, uh, we're, we're, we're happy where we're at at the moment and we've, we've plenty of work in our books to keep us ticking over. Hugh Boner, Managing Director of Mara Media. Thank you for joining us on Business Matters. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. Business Matters, in association with Atlantic Technological University, Donegal. Study for a Doctorate of Business Administration and obtain the highest level management qualification available. Visit atu.ie forward slash dba.